if you had a simple succession plan through the leading member, effectively there would be no problems. And if there's no problems, it means you're safe, secure and certain, which is what everyone wants really at the end of the day. You're listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast. Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 211 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Succession within an SMSF is not always straightforward. They are the children from a first marriage, the surviving second spouse, possible stepchildren. A lot of baggage seems to come out of the trunk when the person holding it all together dies. And so one way to avoid conflict is to put it all into the hands of one member, to make one member the leading member. Grant Abbott of Lightyear Docs and I Love SMSF invented this concept of the leading member. Here's Grant with more. So the question is basically, why would we go for a leading member? And how do we do it? Well, a leading member is probably akin to the royal family where uh, if you have a look at the Queen, the Queen's obviously the titular head of the royal family. And then there's a line of succession that passes down. And that's provided security, I suppose, in the royal family for hundreds and hundreds of years. So the problem we have with SMSFs, which are only really fairly new entities, they've only been around for 25 years or so, What's happening now is there's no line of succession. So you can have members with one or two, someone will become incapacitated or whatever. So there's none of that consistent line of succession. And so that if one of the major controlling people passes away, there's no mechanism for it. So what I've developed is that leading member idea whereby the, the leading member actually is set up and is the, the person who controls the fund. They can have the power to hire fire the trustee and the same thing appoint members and also remove members at any point in time and also have veto power over most of the elements of the fund as well and then when something happens to them whether they're incapacitated mentally or they die it passes on to the next line of succession so you want to have about if you're building one you'd have like about three or four different lines of succession in there so the idea is basically that at the moment SMSFs kind of pop up and then mm, go die. out again mm. as the members die. You have mums and dads setting up the SMSF and when the second spouse dies, that's the end of the SMSF. Yeah. And the idea is basically not to do that, but to have the um, SMSF continue in life by just bringing new members in every time. Exactly. Yeah, so you can have, well, we're, we're moving to six-member funds so that generally you're going to have multi-generations anyway so that if you've got uh, mum and dad then the next generation will come in then you've got to pick someone or one or two people for that and that would happen the same way as if you've got a, an estate that you'd have um, your executor but if they're not around then someone else has to act as executor or if you've got an enduring power of attorney the same sort of thing so most most legal thing or most legal elements have succession built into them, but not properly. But the leading member actually is probably the first time you get succession built into a SMSF. 
So is the main purpose of the leading member to just avoid the mess at the end Correct, when somebody yeah. loses capacity or dies? Or is it also to keep funds within the fund and to basically do the transfer to the next generation within the fund? Yeah, you can do can a bit of both. Okay. Yeah, so it depends. Generally, if someone dies, the benefits have to be paid out. But, for example, you might be able to create an income stream that goes from dad to mum or mum to dad and then goes to the grandchildren, for example, and that will then enable you to keep the assets inside the fund. But you rarely use that. That's mainly if you're using, if you've got farms and stuff like that. The only way to avoid cashing out is a reversionary pension, correct? correct. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you can on death. You can, yeah, on death you can revert to the spouse. A spouse can't necessarily take it back to the accumulation stage. They may have their own. So the reversionary pension is the ideal element for that. And a reversionary pension only works from one spouse to the other. You can't do a reversionary pension to your child or grandchild. Yeah, you can do it to anyone who's financially dependent. But if they're a child of yours, then they have to be under age 25 and financially dependent. Once you're over age 25, you can't pay income stream to that child, so you have to pay a lump sum. But if you were paying it to a grandchild who's not a child, then they can continue on for ad infinitum if you want. If the grandchild is financially dependent on the grandparents at the time. Which is why we've built, we find that a lot of grandparents anyway build, for example, family allowances or they provide benefits for the grandkids and the family. So they can put in place a family allowance agreement and that family allowance agreement essentially enables, it puts in an ongoing cost of living, you know, providing expenses for the family that will then deem that family or potentially put that whole family as a financial dependence. And that would work even if the children or grandchildren earn high incomes and yeah, don't probably, really need this allowance? Probably, quantum, if they've got a, a huge income of four or 500000 they're only getting maybe $1,000 or $500 a month, probably not. But if the rest of the family is being provided with an allowance directly, then that would be okay. So you might end up with the grandchildren and the spouse being financially dependent on the grandparents, but not necessarily the main contributor. So you can actually choose. You could either do it as a family allowance or you can choose as an individual. So, for example, now I could make you could be my financial dependent if I was giving you money, so brothers, sisters, all of that. So if you start to look around that, that will then give you a base for it. Okay, so for example, if a couple has one son and this son is a high-income earner, yeah. but then the son has an unworking spouse and has dependent children, yeah. then the grandparents could make the this spouse. allowance yeah. agreement with the spouse and with the children. Correct. And then the grandchildren and the spouse would be dependent and hence could receive a reversionary pension yep. from the grandparents. And Great. so the funds wouldn't have to leave the fund. They Correct. wouldn't need to be cashed out but could just move over to yeah. their And if the original accounts. pension was tax-free, then it means whoever receives it will always have it tax-free. So I can pay, mm. you know, it can stay in the fund, can just be paid out. On yeah, the you keep the components. So if something Great. is in the tax-free component, it yeah. stays in the tax-free component. So Correct. And so you make this leading member through a document. So the leading member really has to be specified in the trust deed, correct? Yeah, so what, what happens is when you build the trustee, you'll have the parties to the trustee are obviously going to be the trustee, the members of the fund, but then there's the leading member. So they're identified as being the leading member when they've got rights and entitlements under the trustee. 
and then when something happens to them, that's then passed on. So they might just, for example, they might get to age 83, 84, don't want to do it anymore, so then they can pass it on. So it's not like the queen who has to abdicate. Well, it is, it's like abdicating. So you say, look, I don't want to do that anymore. That's now going to pass on to the next person, and then they control. So at some point in time, particularly if you're looking at the financial investments of the fund, you know, it might happen between ages 70 and 80 or over 80 if that needs to be. If you've got younger kids in there who are quite smart and financially adept, I mean, you don't necessarily want all your children inside the fund either because some of them are good and some of them are not so good. So if you want to adopt this leading member concept, you have to set up a new trust deed. Correct. Okay. Or if you've got an existing deed, you just have to upgrade it. So you can change the rules of the fund, which really people should be upgrading the deed every like two or three years anyway because new ideas, new strategies, new laws come through. So... You can simply change that and then put in a, a brand new set of laws. I once read something, but I might mm. misquote you, and it said that this leading member concept could mean that there's only one trustee of a six-member SMSF. Right. You can go through that process. So generally the, the law section 17A1 says that all members must be trustees or directors of the corporate trustee. There are exceptions to the rule. So then if you go to 17A3B, it says if you hold a person's enduring power of attorney, then you can be appointed as their replacement trustee or replacement director. So with a leading member, if the leading member holds everyone's enduring power of attorney, then they could be the only nominated trustee or the director of the corporate trustee. I see. Okay. So that means to put this in place, you would need an updated or new trustee that discusses yeah. this whole leading member concept. And then you would also need power of attorneys from each member Correct. slash trustee who then puts yeah. the leading member into the driver's seat. Yeah, so... And, and look, it, it should that enduring power of attorney, the one that we've created on Lightyear Docs, has two purposes. One is the general one that you'll find that any lawyer will draft up for you, which is to look after my finances and also my health. And then the second one is, which you generally won't see anywhere else, it actually says, well, I want this person to act as my replacement trustee or replacement director. In fact, you can just do an EPOA, enduring power of attorney, just for superannuation. So because in some instances you might want one person to look after your health and lifestyle and all that, whereas they're probably not the best person to go in and run the fund. So although we, we talk about a leading member, I would say that probably around about maybe 60% of the funds that I see where you've got couples who are over age 65, generally one of them is probably not predisposed to actually being a trustee or understanding all their responsibilities and liabilities, and particularly as the commissioner comes down and starts to target trustees directly and starts to pressure them on fines with investment strategies, it's probably not a bad idea that even if it was just a two-member fund and you've got mum who doesn't really want to take much interest in all of that, still it's going to be a member of the fund, that dad has probably already got their enduring power of attorney, would just act as the sole director or the sole corporate trustee, or sole trustee of the fund. Have you seen this taking up already in... Yeah, so it's been a, around for, what I mean, it's around, it's, I've been talking about it for a while, but I suppose now it's only just starting to be taken up because people are now saying, oh, I've got these clients and this one doesn't, you know, I've got this widow 
no sun's coming in, so that it's perfect for the leading member or this uh, one trustee, uh, she or he is depressed or anxious, so it's probably not a good idea to make them a trustee. So the other person can then take that responsibility. And it probably becomes more relevant as we move to six-member funds, meaning when we have different generations, exactly. then the older generation can make sure they keep control until they're ready to hand it over. Exactly. Yeah, that's no, perfect. So... And, and again, it's not like the queen where you die and then hands over. There's going to be a natural, there should be a natural succession as it goes through so that the next level coming in are probably going to be 50 or, you know, between 45 and 50 or 60 will take control. And it may even be earlier than that because, you know, the parents uh, might have problems remembering things or doing the finances and stuff like that. And that, that could happen, you know, when they're 65 or 70. So, and unfortunately, you see these funds that just sort of wither off and die when they're beautiful, you know, you're beautiful machines that should just last ad infinitum into perpetuity. I mean, you've got to you've got to go and shop around and find out you know, who's best and what quality documentation. I think, you know, commissioners basically said that on a number of instances. So you pay for what you get. Yeah. But, you know, I've been at that that forefront of developing. I mean, none of this has got really a huge amount of tax strategies. It's just common sense what happens in a family. You know, families yeah. continue on. You know, people die, people come in, there's new births and all that. And now we're looking at a family aggregation of superannuation wealth. But when you look at cost, you have at least... At the moment, it's $495 to set up a corporate trustee, yeah, but correct, yeah, that yeah. might change. But let's say yeah. around $500 yep. to set up the corporate trustee. Then you have the deed. The actual cost for the trustee varies. Correct. But there's still definitely cost involved. And it seems a pity to have, as you say, these beautiful setup machines. Well, if they don't work to well. Just, yeah, so, to just die. I mean, our motto is always to try and automate everything. And, for example, with our roadshow at the moment, we go through a process of building succession planning into family trust companies, wills, EPOAs and also SMSF. So it's well and truly outside that SMSF sphere. So you can actually automate it across like 13 different documents, which is quite a heavy process. But for the accountant or planner, they can do that in the space of maybe 30 or 40 minutes, which is, you know, you know, it's an amazing thing. So there's a, a lot of possibilities there. It's the same thing as a lot of them, a lot of accountants and planners know how to set up the fund, but that's all they do. So they know the process to do that, which is we go to ASIC, get a corporate trustee, then we set up the SMSF, then we have to do investment strategy. So on our site, that's all automated for you. Then you've got to go and get an ABN and TFN. Unfortunately, that takes a bit of time. Because yes, it the, does, doesn't the, it? Well, it's because the tax office now is trying to weed out people. Before it was really quick, and sometimes instances it's quick, but usually they like to call people and just make sure you're not ripping off the system. Because there's a danger there that people take money from a retail or industry fund put it into an SMSF and then they just start take it out themselves. So early release. So they spend a lot of time there, but then you set up a bank account and then effectively you're, you're pretty well good to Up go. Yeah, so the main sticking point is with that ABN TFN, but you know, that's a good time for an accountant. And once they set it up in that period of those three weeks is to go down and start to build the estate planning or the incapacity planning, you know, and start to look outside that. If we're looking at the succession issue, maybe look at it, 
you know, what, what are their wills and testamentary trusts doing? You know, what's happening with their family trust? Have they got a, a line of succession plan in place for appointors of that trust? Is there a chance of elderly the abuse, abuse within yeah. SMSFs? Yeah. Is there a higher chance now? Because if the son is the leading member yeah. and no other members really can do yeah. anything, is there a higher risk of that now? Um, there is if there was no solution. So what I've developed and will be releasing shortly is a thing called a living will. It's very popular if you have a look over in the US and Canada. It's never been used here in Australia. So that there's a, it's like a contract between the trustee of the fund in this instance, the leading member, and also, let's say, mum, who's the, the last one in there, so that she's to be provided with a certain income stream, a certain, if she's incapacitated, a certain standard of living, like a four or five star, healthcare expenses. So you can actually go really detailed if you want. And then that becomes part of, because the contract becomes part of the governing rules of the fund. And as part of the governing rules of the fund, it now means it becomes part of the law. And if the leading member doesn't abide by it, effectively the worst case scenario is um, punishable as an offence and punishable by imprisonment for up to five years. So as long as you've got that document in, absolutely. But you're quite right, everyone would freak out or they freak out because no one's got a solution for it. But the solution has been used elsewhere in the world. So if it's working over there for hundreds of years, why wouldn't we use that? In Australia, the same the leading member comes from the royal family, which has been around for like four to five hundred or even more years, and it works for them. So why wouldn't we apply that at our level in Australia? So rather than having all these problems face up and then people freak out, just say, look, there's, there is a solution for that, but we need to be innovative and look further afield to say, well, how have they solved it? In fact, there's if you have a look over in the US, the big talk is to have a living will is better than having an estate or a will because that way if you've got a living will, you can actually gift away all your assets before you die and then it's not going to be challenged at a will. So that that's a better way of doing things in my view than probably the way we've been doing it in the past. we should say about the leading member concept? No, I think the, the main thing is it's pretty, I think for me, it's absolutely essential. I mean, if you're not doing it, it's hard. If you're not doing it, then there's no real succession inside that fund and that's going to end up in disaster one way, shape or form. And when it ends up, not for everyone, but if it ends up in disaster, you end up with the lawyers in there and that's going to cost between hundred to $200,000 in legal fees to try and sort out. And I see that day in and day out in my business so we always see people who've had, an, they've got an accountant, then this has happened and then the lawyers get involved and more often than not, the lawyers have got no idea what they're doing, but they can bluff their way through and just keep on charging fees over that process. Whereas if you had a simple succession plan through the leading member, effectively there would be no problems. And if there's no problems, it means you're safe, secure and certain, which is what everyone wants really at the end of the day. Welcome back. So to create a leading member, you need a trust deed that allows this. And you need enduring powers of attorney from each member to the leading member. 
In the next episode, episode 212, Simon Dorovich will talk about the Foreign Investments Review Board. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.